from Turtle Island to Palestine. Occupation is a crime. Free, free Palestine! You're listening to Radio Free Palestine. Welcome everyone, you are listening to Under the Olive Tree on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal and on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario. My name is Sausan Kadura and I will be your host for the next hour. Today we will focus uh, on Montreal. There are four events happening in the next 10 days that relates to Palestine and each is focusing on a different aspect of the issue. So uh, we have first an event that focuses on understanding how pro-Israel lobby efforts work. Then another event uh, about greenwashing and the parallel with uh, Tibet. There's also an event that will focus on Gaza and a new initiative that combines medical need and equipment in, Ca- in Gaza and technology, more specifically 3D printing. 
Finally, there is an event that focuses on Canada, more particularly the hypocrisy of our current prime minister. And uh, obviously, this hypocrisy includes his complete support for apartheid and occupation in Palestine-Israel, despite claiming he is a progressive. So as you can see, many events are taking place. The first three actually are organized by students. So to learn more about these first three events, I talked to a member of SPHR McGill who joined me in studio to talk more in details about these first um, three events. So I will start the show today by playing that interview. Afterward, I will uh, tell you about the fourth event I mentioned. And then for the second part of the show, we will focus on Israel, more specifically on the recent Israeli elections. Stay tuned on Under the Olive Tree. Three different events related to Palestine are taking place in the next few days. If you're looking for events uh, where you can learn more about uh, issues related to Palestine, stay tuned because I have with me in studio a member of SPHR McGill, a group that is one of the many groups hosting these three events. And uh, SPHR, as you know, stands for Students in Solidarity with Palestinian Human Rights. So first of all, thank you for being uh, with me today to talk about these events. Thank you for having me. As I mentioned, three upcoming events are taking place here in Montreal. And the first one is uh, is actually tomorrow, Friday, March 6th. And it's a screening. So maybe can we start with this one? Uh, can you uh, talk to us about the film? What are you guys screening? Yeah, so we're co-hosting a movie, a movie screening of the, the Lobby USA by Al Jazeera. This is a documentary that was shot using footage that was taken by undercover Al Jazeera reporters who basically managed to get into a number of different pro-Israel lobby groups in Washington, D.C., I believe. And uh, it, uh, it uncovers a lot of the kind of a lot of the techniques that are used to try to affect uh, American policymaking regarding Israel-Palestine. Uh, and how pro-Israel advocates try to, you know, use a, a variety of different strategies to to push a pro-Israel agenda uh, in the United States. Mm-hmm. And people, they should know they're lucky maybe to see this documentary because it was at the beginning censored. So Al Jazeera wasn't going to uh, air it and eventually it became public. So can you talk about that? So Al Jazeera actually did two of these. There's Al Jazeera, there's uh, the Lobby United Kingdom and the Lobby USA. So the Lobby United in the United Kingdom, where they kind of did the similar th- a similar thing with um, pro-Israel pro-Israel lobby within British politics, particularly in the British Labour Party, and that one actually aired normally on Al Jazeera, but it looks like the the US version actually wasn't aired by Al Jazeera. Uh, I'm not sure exactly the reasons. There might have been geopolitics involved. There might have been U.S. Qatari um, machinations, which had something to do with that. But in any case, it wasn't aired by Al Jazeera. Instead, it was, uh, I believe it was Electronic Intifada that, uh, who ended up releasing it. So maybe Al Jazeera had just kind of left it uh, left <laughs> it somewhere that was easy to find. <laughs> 
So yeah, electronic intifada ended up leaking it, but it took time. Like it wasn't right away. I think almost a year later, maybe more. I can't remember exactly the time, but it was a, a subject of debate for a while within Palestine solidarity activists and independent sort of journalists speaking out against this sort of um, censorship at Al Jazeera. So, so this movie, this documentary we're talking about, will be screened here in Montreal. So can you? Let us know where, for people who are interested to finally see this documentary, where, when, is it free? Uh, yeah, so it, uh, yeah, it's going to be free. It's going to be happening at, Con- at Concordia, at 1616 St. Catherine Street. I'm not sure exactly which building that is, but it's one of the Concordia buildings. It's uh, written on the, on the Facebook event. And it's going to be co-hosted by BDS Concordia, obviously SPHR McGill, uh, Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East, Independent Jewish Voices Concordia, as well as SPHR Concordia and uh, the SPHR chapter at uh, UCAM. Mm-hmm. So before we mention, we talk about the second event, why do you think people, it's, for them, it's important to see this documentary? What do you want, you hope people to take away from it? Uh, I think with this kind of movie, you learn a lot about how pro-Israel lobbies like APAC in the U.S., uh, for instance, how they use a variety of different tactics to try to to both push an agenda and also to silence criticism of Israel, both in the upper echelons of politics, but also uh, in other areas such as campus, you know, university campuses, for instance. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned about how pro-Israel lobbies try to try to influence the conversation and the politics of Israel-Palestine, mm-hmm. uh, especially things like, you know, the weaponization of anti-Semitism to try and silence uh, Palestinian rights advocates. So both the Lobby USA and the Lobby UK, I think, are very interesting in terms of understanding kind of what goes on behind the scenes of these, you know, media controversies, which will yeah. blow up from time to time about, you know, anti-Semitism or the other such kind of scandals. Mm-hmm. It's interesting also uh, for people, I mean, like you said, a couple of times it's going to expose or talk about IPAC as well. And we see that IPAC, a major Israel lobby in the U.S., has been very controversial. Now there's the election kind of campaigns happening in the U.S. And many Democratic candidates have decided to distance themselves from IPAC and not uh, go to the events and talk. So it's an interesting development. For a long time, IPAC was a must-do for a lot of these presidential candidates in the U.S., whether Democrats or Republican. Now it's not as much. And so I'm interested to come and see the documentary also to kind of look at IPAC's role in a, in a more detailed way as well. So I hope people would join. I'm going to move on to the next event. This time is happening on March 12th, so it's next Thursday. And this time it's a talk. Uh, I believe you are talking during this event. The talk is called Greenwashing, Colonialism, Environmental Racism from Tibet to Palestine. So there's many interesting topics here or keyword being addressed, it seems, during this uh, talk. Environmental uh, racism, the concept of greenwashing, and also this parallel between Tibet and Palestine, which is interesting that we don't see often that parallel being brought in. So I guess before I ask you about these kind of keywords, con- the, the content of the talk, maybe first, can you give us a gen- the general details? So where, again, where and when the event is happening? Who are the uh, groups organizing it? And um, who is speaking with you? Who is speaking during this event? Basically, this event uh, is going to be part of a, of a series of, of workshops being hosted by, by QPERG the Quebec Public Interest Research Group of McGill. So uh, the whole week is, is called Social Justice Days 2020. 
And so our event is going to be, as, as you said, it's called Greenwashing Colonialism, Environmental Racism from Tibet to Palestine. It's happening. It's actually happening at Cooper Concordia. They have a space near, uh, near Concordia University, uh, which you can find on the Facebook event. And it's going to be Thursday, uh, March 12th from 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. Yeah, like I mentioned, you you will be speaking. Who is the other person speaking as well? Right. So the so it's going to be it's going to be presented by students in solidarity Palestinian human rights McGill and students for free Tibet McGill. Mm-hmm. So students for free Tibet McGill, their chapter opened um, basically started up as of this year. So they're a fairly new group on campus. Even though there's always been uh, uh, Tibetans at McGill who've been trying to to kind of raise awareness and start uh, start more organized activism at McGill. So I'll be presenting with SPHR. We might have another SPHR member who might present as well. And then we're going to have Tara, who's a member of uh, of SFT, who's going to be presenting uh, on behalf of Students for Free Tibet. Okay. And so, like I mentioned, um, there's a lot of, seems to be very interesting topics for people maybe to go and learn more about. Uh, the first one is uh, the concept of greenwashing. So our listeners should and would know by now the concept of greenwashing. We talked about it uh, many times on the show, also that parallels with the pinkwashing and veganwashing and so on. So can you maybe explain to people who are not very clear what is the concept of greenwashing and how are you guys covering it? Yeah, so greenwashing initially it started out as a as a as a concept to describe the ways that corporations specifically would use the language of uh, you know eco friendliness and a veneer of eco friendliness to try and cover up environmentally devastating uh, policies. Mm-hmm. So in this case, we're use it's and it can also be used uh, in the case of Palestine, for instance, or. Tibet as a way to describe the ways in which in which states will use the language of eco-friendliness and uh, environmentalism as a cover for oppressive uh, colonial policies, mm-hmm. many of which also uh, themselves contribute to environmental de- degradation as well as human oppression. And how does that link also to environmental racism? So environmental racism... Uh, that was a concept that uh, I really started, was kind of coined in the 1970s in the United States to describe the ways in which um, pollution, for instance, uh, environmental degradation, these phenomena uh, disproportionately affected racialized and marginalized communities mm-hmm. uh, in the United States. So more broadly, it, it can be, I think it can be termed as, the, it can be defined as the way that, that the consequences of of climate change, of uh, environmental degradation are disproportionately borne by racialized and marginalized uh, groups within the global north as well as by populations in the global south. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing I thought was interesting, the sort of parallel of bringing together Palestine and Tibet. So can you guys talk about that? How did you come up with it, uh, with this idea, how this event came to be to kind of merge these two uh, issues together? I'd say at, at McGill, as as long as I've been there, the the Tibetan struggle from as long as I can remember has been kind has been something that uh, SPHR McGill is quite uh, involved in, partly because one of the founders of SFT McGill was previously a member of uh, SPHR McGill, and uh, for a number of reasons historically the Tibetan struggle for freedom and self determination. And the Palestinian struggle have been have rarely ever been mm. been uh, joined in solidarity mm-hmm. for a number of geopolitical reasons, mm-hmm. partly I'd say. 
So I think for us it was important to show how you know, both the Chinese state and the Israeli state use very similar tactics in their attempts to erase indigenous populations from the territories that they're trying to impose their control on. From the use of settlers, both in Palestine and Tibet. Can you talk also about the importance, I mean, beyond, about Tibet, but beyond the importance of creating these parallels between different uh, causes or movements? Is it something very important for SPHR McGill to do? Uh, I think any kind of solidarity work and kind of showing the parallels as well as the differences between uh, between indigenous struggles all over the world is definitely an important, is a central part of what SPHR uh, does. And that goes especially for indigenous struggles in, in so-called Canada, <laughs> um, uh, which is why, I mean, for instance, SPHR has been trying to to organize as much as possible in support of uh, the Wet'suwet'en uh, resistance against the RCMP's invasion of Wet'suwet'en territory in the past few months. Um, I encourage people, last week I read the statement, I encourage people to go to bdsmovement.net, the website of the BDS movement, and see the statement of uh, complete solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en nation and their struggle for self-determination. So, yes, very important issue, especially what's going on now. And uh, on that note, I want to uh, move on to the third event. Uh, the third event is a talk uh, that will be given by Dr. Tariq Lubani. Our listeners might be familiar with Tariq. Uh, I did uh, interview him two times, I believe, on the show. So can you uh, introduce us, you know, talk more about Tariq? Who is Tariq and what will he be talking about? Yeah, so basically we have Dr. Tariq Lubani who's coming to, who's going to come speak at McGill on Friday, March 13th. So Dr. Tariq Lubani, he is um, a Canadian-Palestinian emergency room doctor and humanitarian who regularly volunteers in the Gaza Strip, mm-hmm. uh, as well as other places. He appeared in headlines in 2018 uh, because he was, basically sh- he was basically shot in the leg by Israeli snipers while he was, he was trying to, to retrieve injured Palestinian protesters from the Gaza fence mm-hmm. during Gaza's Great March of Return. So this was at a time when Palestinians within the Gaza Strip were protesting at the Gaza border, uh, both against the blockade, both against the, blo- the Israeli bro- blockade, which has crippled the Gazan economy, and also to demand the right of return to their villages and towns from which they were expelled uh, in 1948. So during that time, hundreds of Palestinians were shot, were either shot dead or gravely injured by Israeli snipers. And Tariq Luban was no exception. So he's going to come over and talk... So he's going to talk about his experiences in Gaza and what he saw, uh, what he witnessed in Gaza, as well as his work uh, in Gaza. And he's also going to talk about the GLIA project, which is a project that he helped found. It's basically an initiative which, through 3D printing, tries to provide cheap, affordable medical equipment for places like Gaza, where which are in high need of these kinds of medical supplies, but don't necessarily have the resources to to buy expensive medical equipment. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, topic, a very interesting initiative that uh, Tariq started. I remember I interviewed him when he was uh, just at the first stages. So people, if they are interested also to hear that, uh, we have it on our website. But I'm definitely interested to come and see the talk. It's, It's nice to see that the initiative is developing and still going on. Uh, this use of 3D printing to create, uh, like you said, low-cost medical devices for people in Gaza and hospitals in Gaza. So it's going to be an interesting talk, I'm sure of it. Can you uh, tell people, uh, first of all, who are the groups behind this um, this event? 
And uh, what time? It's so again. It's on Friday, March 13. What time? With the place and also the groups behind it. Yes. Yeah, so so it's going to be Friday, March 13th, from 6 to 8 p.m. in the Burnside basement, uh, room 1B45. So that's mm-hmm. the big lecture hall uh, in the Burnside basement. And it's going to be organized. Uh, so the hosts are going to be SPHR McGill, Independent Jewish Voices Canada, uh, Independent Jewish Voices Concordia. Uh, Independent Jewish Voices McGill and the McGill World Islamic and Middle East Studies Students Association mm-hmm. as well. And so the main organizer is actually uh, Dalia Shath, who's a Palestinian uh, organizer here in Montreal. From people, uh, from listening to the groups behind all these events. So what's interesting, all these events are organized and hosted by student activists, student groups, which is really great to see. And uh, we see a lot of collaboration between uh, student groups, not only within the same uh, university, but you have uh, uh, student groups uh, from Concordia and McGill and even Université de Montréal. So I guess from that, I want to end it by kind of a bit of focus on student activism and ask first how important it is and maybe challenging. I don't know if you guys, especially in Palestine solidarity activism um, in particular, uh, how important it is to not only create initiative and sort of connection with other student groups on campus, but also to create these connections with Palestine solidarity groups on different universities uh, in Montreal. So how important is this? Uh, do you guys work for it? Is it challenging maybe? I don't know. What's your experience as a student activist uh, with SPHR McGill? I think because because relationships between different organizations so often are are mediated through personal relationships. The challenge for student organizations is that there's always so much turnover and every year you have people leaving. So that means that you always kind of have to recreate personal relationships in different groups or you have to kind of actively Mm -hmm. go and seek out uh, those contacts every year. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the big challenge. And uh, I think every so often, you know, we realize that, you know, it's always always a very good idea to go and try to actively... uh, you know, look for groups who can co-host events because that's going to bring in more, more, more people to try and seek out advice from other groups that have, for instance, you know, when if SPHR McGill wants to do wants to do something and doesn't have any like immediate experience having done it, then you know, SPHR Concordia might have mm. experience. Yeah, and I think that that also applies for groups that are off campuses. At times, we we try to also organize with with groups that are not necessarily student organizations that are more kind of embedded in, in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's definitely a challenge, and it's also something that, that's very important to do, and it's definitely very rewarding when mm-hmm. you can actually go and do that kind of uh, outreach, both it, on campus and off campus. Is it challenging? Did you, do you guys find challenge to also convince non-Palestine solidarity groups to kind of join you in an event to both of you coordinate like you did with Cooper, McGill, and so on. So do you find that challenging to convince people to join the Palestine Solidarity or to do an event with the Palestine Solidarity Group, considering that uh, it's a topic there's still a lot of misinformation about? I think there have been times where that's been an issue, where people think that, you know, the issue of Palestine is too controversial or to organize in solidarity with. But uh, in my experience, uh, groups, for instance, like Climate, Climate Justice Action McGill or Divest McGill, uh, if we're talking about environmental groups, for instance, have been very open to collaborate and actually, you know, sometimes come forward to actively seek out uh, SPHR to, you know, to collaborate with SPHR. Obviously, students for free to bet. We've been working very closely with them. Yeah, so I think, um, 
I think it depends. It also it depends on the memberships in different groups at different times. Mm-hmm. But I'd say all in all, it's been from my in my experience, it's been pretty positive. So I uh, thank you very much for joining me in studio to give us this kind of rundown of these latest events organized by different student groups. So yeah, keep up the good work and thank you very much for joining me again. Thank you. So a reminder, people, people at March 6th, uh, screening of the Lobby USA. So this is going to be at 7 p.m., so Friday tomorrow. It's 1616 St. Catherine Street West, room B070. And then on March 12th, there's going to be a talk, sort of roundtable, I guess, Greenwashing Colonialism from Tibet to Palestine. And uh, this is going to be 4.30 p.m. to 6 p.m. And uh, the address is 2100 Gee Street, room 205. And finally, March 13th is the talk of Tariq uh, Lubani at McGill University in the Bur- Burnside Hall. And the base at the basement one B forty five, and this one's gonna be at six p.m. And obviously, if you wanna have uh, details information, you can go to SPHR McGill's Facebook uh, page, and all the events are there. I'm gonna also put the link on our Facebook page as well. My name is Sausan Kadura, and you are listening to Under the Olive Tree. <laughs> As I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show, there's four events actually, not uh, so not uh, three. There's these three, uh, these first three events that we talked about uh, with uh, in this first interview I played with a member of SPHR McGill. But there's a fourth event uh, that is also happening in the next few days, and this time it's a book lunch. So this new book called. House of Mirrors, Justin Trudeau's Foreign Policy. And the author is uh, Eve Engler. So we had Eve on our show before. The last interview we did with him was September, if you remember. And uh, we talked about the NDP, actually, uh, not uh, Justin Trudeau. We focus on the NDP. And um, the interview was centered around an article he wrote recently called Um, NDP suppresses Palestinian solidarity again, unquote. So the NDP tends to uh, represent itself as the progressive voice of Canadian politics. But in this interview I did with Eve in September, we discussed that when it comes to Palestine and Israel, their actions actually align with the conservatives and the liberals. Uh, We really talked about... um, the many examples where the NDP leadership behaved in an um, undemocratic way within their own party to stifle any discussion about Palestinian human rights or any discussion that could be critical about the occupation in Israel, in Israel-Palestine. And also with Eve in this interview, we also talked about um, um, the failure of the NDP membership to hold its leadership accountable 
for stifling these voices. So if you are interested um, in really being much more critical of the NZP, which I think it's very important, I do invite you to go to our Mixcloud channel and listen to our September 16 interview with Eve. I also did another interview actually about the NDP very recently in January uh, with uh, Hanna Kawaz. Hanna is from the Canada-Palestine Association. And um, in this interview, we actually uh, focus on the NDP, but also focus on Jagmeet Singh in particular and his double talk before and after the election, especially when it comes to Palestine. This was recently uh, exposed. And so um, if you're interested in that as well, Again, the interview is also available um, on our Mixcloud channel. This interview was done in January. I believe it's the first interview we did in January. We focus on Jagmeet Singh and the NDP. So why am I mentioning this? And I'm going to uh, go back to... Uh, to talk about the book launch. Uh, by why am I mentioning this and why am I talking about the importance of learning about the NTP and maybe stop giving it an image that it doesn't deserve. And this is because of a recent news involving the NDP and the news con uh, about their continuous complicity with apartheid apologists in Canada. <laughs> So the Independent Jewish Voices Canada recently uh, sent a statement or released a statement that concerns a Palestine-related development in Ontario. And I will read this statement, uh, but just to give a context to what the statement is about. So there's a bill in Ontario uh, that is being voted on. It just went through its second uh, hearing. Uh, the bill is called the Combating Anti-Semitism Act. And the bill is uh, it's also known as Bill 168. The bill basically wants the Ontario government to adopt the IHRA definition. And uh, we did cover extensively this definition on the show and we will continue. Uh, it's a definition that basically wants to conflate criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism, which means that it will be used and is being used to stifle criticism of Israel, Israel's policies and politics. And... Um, so, yeah, it's used to stifle this criticism instead of actually combating the rise of anti-Semitism itself. So the part of the definition that is controversial, uh, as we mentioned many times on the show before, it's these 11 examples that were added to the definition um, a few years ago, a couple of years ago. Seven out of these 11 examples mentions Israel and criticism of Israel. And none mention white supremacy, for example, which is the major reason behind this increase of danger or this increase of risk to the Jewish community. So this is why people are questioning the motives of this definition, how it could be used. And the motives are people who are trying very hard to make, uh, uh, for example, different Canadian cities or provinces adopted. So these attempts, we saw them many times. This is why we covered, them, uh, covered this on the show many times, because we saw these attempts happening many times in Canadian cities. So far, it's failed. It failed in Vancouver, it failed in Calgary, and failed in Montreal. But recently, a new IHRA bill appeared, this time in Ontario. And like I said, it went through its second vote. 
And IJV Canada, Independent Jewish Voices Canada group, who launched a campaign, the No IHRA campaign, so the website is noihra.ca, this campaign aims at fighting this definition. And so they released a statement about what happened in Ontario. So here's the statement where you also you will learn to go back to our NDP, also you will learn more about what the NDP did in Ontario. So, and I'm quoting here the statement, Independent Jewish Voices Canada is deeply dismayed and concerned with the Ontario government's decision to unanimously approve Bill 168, the Combating Anti-Semitism Act, on its second reading at Queen Park yesterday. The bill seeks to adopt the International Holocaust Remembers Alliance's flawed and controversial definition of anti-Semitism. Bill 168 was approved on second reading by a vote of 55 and 0 against 0 and now goes to the Standing Committee on Justice Policy for review and public input before a final vote. Particularly concerning is that not only not one NDP MPP voted against the bill, representing a serious betrayal of the party's commitments towards human rights and progressive values in Ontario. Conspicuously absent were nearly the entire Ontario NDP caucus, including party leader Andrea Horwath and anti-racism critic Laura May Lindo. In a bizarre move, NDP MPP John Vanthoff spoke to concerns around the impact on freedom of expression that Bill 168 represents, but then voted in favor of the bill. Ontario NDP MPPs should be reminded that only four years ago, Bill 202 came up for debate at Queen's Park. The Bill uh, 202 is a bill that would have imposed severe limitation on the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement, prevented the province with doing business with institutions that supported BDS and stopped universities from being able to endorse the movement. Luckily, this profoundly anti-democratic bill failed on second reading. At the time, then-Ontario NDP Deputy Leader Jagmeet Singh spoke passionately against the bill in the interest of having a free and open societal debate on Israel-Palestine. It is profoundly troubling that the NDP has strayed so far from this position that one of its most prominent members took not so long ago. So this is a part of the statement by Independent Jewish Voices um, Canada uh, talking about what happened in, uh, in Ontario about the bill that concerned the IHRA uh, controversial and deceiving um, definition. And also you can see from the, def- uh, from the statement there's a lot of focus on the behavior of the NDP party in Ontario um, and how they call it betrayal the progressive values in Canada. As you can see, um, we do need to have a far more critical perspective or view of the NDP. A lot of progressives tend to sometimes think that the NDP represents them. There needs to be more criticism about them. I'm going to continue to read a bit about the statement of IJV just to finish. They continue to say, IJV Canada wishes to thank all of our supporters over 1,000 of whom sent in emails to members of Ontario's parliament to oppose Bill 168. In addition, we thank the many organizations that supported us, 
in our fight, such as the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty, the Canadian Federation of Students, the International Civil Liberties Monitoring Group, the Canadian Friends Service Committee, and the BC Civil Liberties Association. Moreover, a group of over 350 Canadian academics launched an open letter yesterday declaring their opposition to the IHRA's definition of anti-Semitism. Unquote. So this is almost the entire statement of the Independent Jewish Voices uh, Canada about what is happening in Ontario. We will keep an eye on this. And uh, these, all these groups and these academics and these people sending these letters shows you the, the, the difference where a big part of civil society in Canada is when it comes to this definition and Palestine solidarity in general and discussion about Israel's policies in general and where the NDP supposedly progressive party is. So you guys can judge for yourself. So to finish this segment and go back to Eve Angler, um, who, uh, like I mentioned, raised the alarm a little bit about the NDP and condemned its leadership or its behavior and also questioned the membership, lack of actions to confront their leaders. Um, Eve also, But Eve also is, is a prominent critic of all Canadian politics. He focuses a lot of our foreign policies and politics. Um, so he did look and he does always look at the liberals and our prime minister in particular, who is horrible really on a lot of these issues let's face it not only palestine israel despite also representing himself as a progressive and um, so the result of this look into uh, the liberals and trudeau in particular resulted in eve writing a new book called house of mirrors justin trudeau's foreign policy and so the lunch event of uh, uh, this uh, this uh, the the launch of this book basically, the, there's two events. One happened yesterday, so it's gonna be another launch um, event happening on Tuesday, March 10. So next Tuesday, March 10 in Montreal. <coughs> Excuse me, on 7 p.m. And it's gonna be at the Greek Workers Association, and the address is 5359 Avenue du Parc. So again, the launch of this new book of Eve Angler called House of Mirrors, Justin Trudeau's Foreign Policy, is happening on Tuesday, March 10, 7 p.m. at the Greek Workers Association, 5359 Avenue du Parc. I will read maybe um, sort of the intro of the event and the... that is posted on their fa- the Facebook uh, page of the event, the Facebook, uh, yeah, the event page of this launch. So it goes as follows. Justin Trudeau presents itself as, quote, progressive on foreign affairs and to have brought Canada, quote, back after the disastrous Stephen Harper conservative government. House of Mirrors, Justin Trudeau's foreign policy, which is the name of the book, demonstrates the opposite is true. In his latest book, Eve Angler outlined how Trudeau's government has expanded the military while ignoring international effort to restrict nuclear weapons proliferation. In the Western Hemisphere, the Liberals have launched an unprecedented, multi-pronged effort to overthrow Venezuela's governments while siding with an, un- with an assortment of reactionary governments. They continue to enable Israeli violence against Palestinians, cozied up to repressive Middle East monarchies and emboldened far-right militarists in Ukraine. 
Flouting their climate commitments, the Trudeau government also failed to follow through on its promise to rein in Canada's controversial international mining sector. The Liberals have tried to sell their pro-corporate empire policies with progressive slogans as they violated international law and spurned efforts to overcome pressing global issues the liberals crowd about the quote international rules-based order notwithstanding the rhetoric the house of mirrors shows that trudeau largely continued harper's foreign policy unquote so this is sort of the summary of that uh, introductory summary of the book itself by Eve Angler, but also, like I said, there's going to be a launch, um, uh, a launching event um, happening next Tuesday, March 10 at 7 p.m. So uh, it seems to be a very interesting, uh, in-depth look at our true foreign policy. <coughs> Excuse me again. <coughs> and uh, so, yeah, an in-depth look at our foreign policy the true values that it's, uh, it protects really um, in the world, as opposed to the image uh, that us Canadians like to believe of ourselves. The Quill and Choir wrote about Eve Angler before, I'm quoting, part of that rare, he is Eve Angler, part of that rare but growing group of social critics unafraid to confront Canada's self-satisfied myth, unquote. So, yes, yeah, very important to really know our true politics and what principles and views we defend instead of what we like to believe we actually do. Because, the you know, we are not Trump. Uh, Trump is really not enough to think everything's OK. So I'm going to take a small break and we will be back with the last section of the show. Yeah. 